With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus nfl looking for the best sports coverage on the web then check out the dan patrick show on podcast one Sportsnet. join the sportscaster monday through friday as he covers the biggest games all year long with a whole bunch of a-list guests from around the world of sports and entertainment download new episodes of the dan patrick show every week only on apple podcasts and podcast one Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelazzolo here with Sam Monson. Ready to preview. Where are we? Week, Week 15. 15. Wow. How you doing, man? Almost done. Yeah. 15, 16, 17. We're almost out of here. And it's playoff time. Mm-hmm. And we talk draft for three months. Nice. You ready? Yeah. You love that. It's time yeah. to get into the Senior Bowl. <laughs> That's the, your only draft evaluation? That's where I start. Just don't Finish that. the NFL season. Start with the Senior Bowl. Oh, okay. You work backwards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. People go in with takes and then they get to the senior bowl to, you know, right. enhance or reinforce them. Crush. Yes, exactly. Reinforce those takes. You start with takes at the small the sample bowl. size senior bowl and then you go check the film. I think the I think the strike rate is pretty good. Like Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin. I wrote off. Was it David Sills? Terrible. You did. Awful. Where's he now? Yeah, and you worked backwards and said, okay, here's Terry McLaurin tearing it up at the Senior Bowl, and, now, and he, let's go check out his six targets from the season. Right. And then let's go check, and Sills is terrible, let's go check out his 28 touchdowns that he had. Terrible. Yeah. Maybe it holds up. Foolproof. Well, there's you know, a little insight as to what we're, where we're going with the PFF NFL podcast. Let's start with week 15, though. We're dropping this a little bit earlier 
than usual, so we could preview the Thursday nights. True. It's probably also important to point out that there are other people watching college football and grading it, you know, that actually know what they're doing. As oh, right. We're not. Who comes to it after the, a, at the senior bowl. PFF is not relying on your <laughs> draft analysis as Correct. of right now. Yes. Our guy, Mike Renner, is actually doing a fantastic job keeping up with all of the ebbs and flows as far as draft stock goes and everything. So mm-hmm. I do suggest you check that out at PFF.com, plus him and Austin Gale at two for one drafts. That being said, the senior bowl strategy appears to work. Yes. So Yours. Yes. PFF has a much different better strategy that does not rely on sam's laziness anyway the thursday night game i'm busy it's true you're an nfl guy right now like i am new york jets at the baltimore ravens and you know some of you will be listening to this podcast after the fact but i want to break down the ravens a little bit because everybody's writing about them talking about them especially us here at pff Mm -hmm. it's ravens week it is. We have a lot. I mean, everybody wants to break down what their offenses do and Lamar Jackson, how they're going forward on fourth down. There's a lot of really good things that they're doing. But I have a piece up at PFF.com all about the Ravens defense this week that I hinted at on Monday. Okay. They're doing some unique things. What are they doing? Well, we've talked quite a bit on the podcast about how from a team building strategy, they did a, a lot of things the way we would, right? They let Zedaria Smith walk. They let Terrell Suggs walk, C.J. Mosley but they really let their pass rushers go. They already had this really good secondary. And then instead of replacing the pass rushers, they added Earl Thomas. So, and then they added Marcus Peters in the middle of the season. So first off, they're doing a really nice job building back to forward, right? Get these guys that can cover with some really nice, unique skill sets. And then the idea would be manufacture pressure. So check mark number one. I, I liked the team building effort. The second thing was the manufacture pressure part. And I think one of the things I broke down in the piece was the fact that our preseason rankings, we had them as the number one secondary and like number 26 or 27 pass rush. It's almost to a T like they're number five in coverage right now and 26th or 27th in pass rush. It's almost right as we expected, but our pass rush grades are based off individual wins and, you know, finishing plays. And it's more about, you know, dominance in, in one-on-one situations, beating blocks, right? That's where our good pass rush grade goes. It comes from, but they've got, a top uh, pressure rate this year, despite having one of the lowest pass rush grades, and that's all coming from their blitzing. Over 54% of the time they're blitzing, that's like 9% more than the next closest team. So now, that's how they're manufacturing pressure. They're blitzing more than anybody, and they're sending everybody after the quarterback yeah. in unique ways. It's, it's unbelievable. It's interesting. They're kind of proving the idea. So a lot of the offseason was spent discussing what is more important, coverage or pass rush, right? And it's not, so the numbers, a lot of the advanced numbers suggest the coverage is more important, but it's not quite that simple because pass rush is more stable, right? So it's easier essentially to lean on pass rush because you have more confidence that that guy's going to be good. Whereas with coverage, sure, you think he's really good, but it's not, it's not a given, right? So the Ravens, but what the Ravens have done is essentially prove that it's easier to cheat one than the other. So if you load up on the coverage guys on the basis that that's the more important thing, you can fake pass rush better than you can the other way around, which is if you load up on a ton of pass rushers, it's not that easy to fake coverage. Like you can still get beaten. Now, the greatest example of that is the Eagles, right? Right. So right now, the Ravens and the Eagles are three and four in terms of pressure percentage on defense. So the Ravens get get as much pressure as basically the team that's been able to stack seven guys that can all generate pressure up front, um, and they do it with all the blitzing. The Eagles do it just by winning with four, 
but they get gashed because their back end sucks. Right. So, like, their pressure rate is down this year than it has been the past couple of years where they've been, you know, absurdly dominant up front. But it's still really good. Um, and yet they're getting wrecked by everybody because you can't fake the back end stuff. And it's, and it's the Eagles are interesting because their pass rush grade has been very consistent since about 2016. And then... The one, the one year that they made the Super Bowl run, won the Super Bowl, their coverage unit, they, they went from top five pass rush grade pretty consistently, but their coverage units have gone up and down. Their peak year was 2017 when they could cover and they were getting great performances uh, in the, on the back end. Patrick Robinson, all these guys emerging, that's when they won the Super Bowl. Right, and you can even just anecdotally, you can think back to New Orleans in 2009, same idea, right? That defense was bad for a long time, and then suddenly they went on a year where they they turned the ball over a ton. Right. And it wasn't even that they were that good on defense that year. It was that they just generated a, an unsustainable and absurd number of turnovers, which was a, which had the same effect. Suddenly you're now covering, you're buying possessions for the offense, and you're winning because of it. So, it's yeah, it's an interesting strategy. The, they leaned hard into the coverage is more important thing. And I think more possibly more importantly is that they proved it might actually be the better strategy because – it's easier to fake the thing that you're deficient in, even if it's a more stable thing. Yeah. So, so even you, if pass rush is more reliable, more stable, and easier to bet on, you, it's easier to cheat as well. Yeah, so you can manufacture pressure, and then they're doing it in extremely unique ways. I think we talked about it on Monday. You know, Earl Thomas came over as like the quintessential center field safety, right? Mm-hmm. It's all we'd seen him done for the majority of it, do with the majority of his career. All we've seen him do. Mm-hmm. Don't laugh at my terrible English. I'm just, you know, it's just, really early in the morning right now. Yeah, it's, it bodes well for the article you just submitted. Well, I, I write better in the morning, too, which <laughs> also bodes well for a lot of things. I need more coffee. Can we get some coffee in here? Hmm. Where, where are our interns with some coffee? I was going to pick some on up on the way in, but A, I was running late, right? Hmm. It was traffic. And B, like people would complain about the, the noises. We're just slurping coffee. coffee. No, but I, I mute when I drink my coffee. I know, but like then you get. I you think know, I'm making other noises that are just not possible. But even if, even once you've done the drinking, then there's you know the residual mouth sounds from just post coffee. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna fall asleep because you didn't pick up coffee this yeah, morning. Well, you know, you can't manage like for an hour and a half without. Okay, coffee. I can do it. I can do it. Okay. Anyway, Earl Thomas this year. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but forty. He's rushed the passer <laughs> forty eight times. Let's start with it all began. Now, 48 times he's rushed the quarterback. He'd only done it 15 times in the last five years. Yeah. So they're using him in and around, in and around the line of scrimmage, those instincts. And I've showed some plays in the article like he completely scared Jarvis Landry just because he broke on the ball so quickly, scared him into an interception. He created not pressure. Not the first time that's happened this year, by not the, the first, way. Right. That's happened a few times now. Um you know, created pressure that led to a Josh Allen sack and a key play. I mean, they're doing a great job using Earl Thomas. Uh, Chuck Clark, the other safety by name, has rushed the quarterback more than any other safety in the league. Earl Thomas ranks fifth. Marlon Humphreys rushed the quarterback more than any other outside corner. And then edge defender Matthew Judon's dropped into coverage fourth most time. So they're using, we've talked about positionless football, right, on Monday. Mm-hmm. They're throwing all these guys around the line of scrimmage and having them, not every time, but do the opposite of what the expectation is. And a lot of that is creating enough indecision in the offense combined with their ability to cover on the back end, and they're having a lot of success. 
Especially yeah. since week four, one of the best teams in the league. It's like old zone blitz defense on steroids. Like, it is. Just, instead of just one guy firing and one guy dropping, it's like it can be coming from anywhere, and who the hell knows who's dropping in the coverage. Yeah, so I think when you add it all up, like the Ravens, none of those things in isolation, using safeties as blitzers or manufacturing pressure or building from the back end, none of those are unique in isolation. But I think what's making the Ravens unique is that they're doing everything, right, on both sides of the ball. Every little edge that they could find, they're doing it. Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams, who have a combined weight of like 900 pounds, have dropped into coverage and combined seven times. I love it. Each one of them has done it more than three it's, times. It's not enough, to be honest. <laughs> those guys, not like enough. watching those guys is hilarious. They line up with just this two, this duo interior tandem of just giant round monsters. But and then you don't know what's going to be right, around Everything them. around it is different, yeah. but I the just... Ra- it, it just occurred to me that they've probably, because of all this craziness, they've probably dropped those guys. Domita Pecco has only been in the building like a couple of weeks, and he's dropped into coverage twice. I love it. I mean, they started the game against the Rams a couple of weeks ago with the you know the old Madden double cornerback blitz. Yeah. Double cat blitz. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst play in Madden and in real life. Yeah. And they did it. They got a sack on Jared Goff with that. So, um, again, I think the Ravens are finding edges on the margins on both sides of the ball. And it's a bunch of little things that are adding up. Fullback slash defensive tackle. Patrick Ricard has dropped into coverage twice. <laughs> well, he's, he's one of the 12 guys. He has, yeah. They have 12 guys with at least 10 pressures. So yeah. 12 guys have at least 10 pressures on including the team. Including their fullback. Including the fullback. Mm. I mean, it's great. It's great to see. Five edge defenders have at least 10 pressures. The Ravens are doing uh, just a really nice job on both sides of the ball. They play the Jets. Uh, I think we know that it's going to be a, a pretty one-sided affair is what we're expecting. We'll see if Sam Darnold is seeing ghost again against this defense. Wait, did Wentz break the ginger theory? Yeah. Were you going to stop? And Well, no, because he had the game winning. Yeah, he wasn't good, though. He has a perfect passer rating on his last pass. True. How was that? Hmm. The important thing to come out of that game was Boston Scott, and everybody knows it. Oh, so... Can we tease this offseason thing, the uh, the quarterback periodic table? We asked, yes. and it was delivered. It was. Spectacularly so. So so what's the plan here? I thought the we could probably pretty it up a little bit. Sure. I, so, put it up on the board, but the, like, the explanations were just fantastic. Yes. Are you going to so, tease a couple? Yeah, sure. All right. So somebody uh, messaged me on Twitter. Um, I've had to research his name. And by research, I mean ask him because it's tricky. Uh, it's apparently pronounced Shape. 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 So Shape sent me this legit periodic table of quarterbacks. He has all 32 starting quarterbacks in it. And he sent like explanations as to why they are the specific element that they are. Yeah. Um, and frankly, almost all of them are absolutely incredible. So we said, look, this is too good to just like ignore or throw out there. We'll, we'll be able to throw it up on Parker at some point. But I want to have a whole offseason show where we just go through the periodic table of quarterbacks. Absolutely. And because, obviously, there's more elements than current starting quarterbacks, we're going to start filling in some of the blanks with, like, old quarterbacks. So, like, Jamarcus Russell will be one of those elements that's too heavy to exist in nature, only in a lab, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but let's, let's tease a couple of his, because some of them are, frankly, pretty amazing. Uh, Flacco, Carbon. Because in rare scenarios, can be a diamond. However, mostly coal. <laughs> That's uh, really good. Jimmy Garoppolo, zirconium, pretty, but a poor diamond imitation. Yes. 
So anyway, they're all like this. They're all freaking amazing. I tweeted the thing out um, when he sent it to me yesterday, so you can find it somewhere on my Twitter. But we're going to have eventually one of our PFF podcast off-season shows is going to be working wait. through this because they are frankly amazing. I love football, but now I want the off-season to be here. He did. We gave him. We hooked him up with a free account as well, as a, as we said we would. As we said, true to our word. Yeah. Uh, look, we've had some good. Let this be a lesson, dude. If you send us cool things, we will hook you up. Oh, I'll throw free subscriptions left and right. Right. If you send us some stuff, mm-hmm. we've had mugs sent our way, T-shirts, weird posters. posters. Yeah. Not weird posters, but yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. Don't make fun of Lee. I'm not making fun. Lee's, I'm making fun of the poster. Lee's a big fan. Uh huh. Poster ranking I'm just saying, us. I didn't get a mug. Or I did get a mug, but it had your name on it. four mugs sitting around the office. Yeah, so I did get a mug, but it had Team Steve written on it. With a retro PFF logo now. True. And hashtag Team Steve. But we, yeah, we've, we've had some, we've got great listeners. But anyway, this thing was amazing. It's worth your time to go find it on Twitter and look at it, because it's hysterical. So so I give you my um, my thesis on the Ravens defense, and you drop Thinger, Ginger Theory on us. Thinger Jerry? Stop it. It's <laughs> Coffee, please. Where is my Coffee. Where, where are uh, these interns? That's nearly as good as uh, as Thigs and Dealing. Uh, I've got I've got an empty glass of water. Mm, that's not going to help. <laughs> no caffeine in that. So I usually have one coffee when I wake up, and then one when I get to the office. And I haven't you've had, had the had office. Nothing, no. Yeah. Oh, you've had the morning one. Though. I had the morning oh, one. So you've had something. Yeah, but that was like six. That was two and a half hours ago. <laughs> Just not good. You know, it, it feels like you should be able to overcome lack of one coffee. If you'd had so, nothing this morning, we could talk, but oh no, I'd be just the second one. Head down on the table yeah. if that was the case. All right, so we're expecting the Ravens to win. Maybe you guys already watched the game. You're expecting the Ravens to win. Hopefully it's competitive. Um, we talked about Sam Darnold. He's due to be on the, you know, the steps should be going down. This could be that game. That actually fits perfectly with the EKG, right? Because the, the last plummet was the Patriots game. Right. And if it's going to happen again, the Ravens would be the next team Could to do be it. the Ravens. Earl Thomas picks Darnold off three times. Hmm. Okay. Sound good. We're all picking the Ravens in this one. Let's get to some of the games of the week, which you declared are the Los Angeles Rams at the Dallas Cowboys. Don't mock start. me. It's not a great slate this week. It's not mocking. I'm just saying you, you make I the did. decisions I on declared this. that the Rams and Cowboys were one of the games of the week. Not the flexed Bill Steelers game. Largely through a lack of significantly better alternatives. No, it's an important it's an important game. I thought, you know, when you look at this game, both te- both teams obviously fighting for their playoff lives. You've got the Rams showing signs of life these last two weeks. I want to know if this is real or not. You know, we always talk about not buying into sample sizes, but this feels different it feels like the rams have not figured it out but just you know gotten back on track at least i am rooting for a six win team to win the nfc east i thought that was is that still on the table i think they can win it with a six nine and one team can win it now oh man yeah that's what I think we all if want. the eagles and cowboys tie they, there's like some absurd tie break scenario that ends up with somebody winning at six nine and one yeah i'm not not buying that why don't you want to see the world burrow like i do I also don't think it would be easy playing the Cowboys or Eagles in the playoffs. Like I say, the the, team, the last two sides that have gone into the playoffs with losing records have won the game. Yeah. Their first game. Now, they host that game, so that'll help. Yeah, that'll certainly help. But, by uh, the way, did you see... <laughs> so every now and again, people go on this crusade to like, hey, Jerry Jones, why don't you hire a GM? He's like, you're the problem. Stop making a mess. And pretty much every time, he comes out and says, look... I run the team the way I want to run it, and you know why? Because I own it, and I can. Like, what's the point in owning a team if I can't play real life football manager? It's true. And you're like, honestly, I applaud that. Like, what is the? 
There's no. It's not a money making exercise. You're already a billionaire. That's how you bought the team yeah. in the first place. So have fun. Literally, the only purpose in owning an NFL team, either good seats, which you could probably get anyway if you're a billionaire, or you get to play fantasy football on a real stage. And he, I mean, nobody's unashamedly comes out and says, "That's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do." So you know, that's the way it's going to be. Nobody goes and finds the best Madden player to run their Madden franchise. You're doing it on your own. Hmm. Okay, right? Sure. You're making all the decisions. You're having fun. Yeah. I'm just I I like the idea that he just just unashamedly saying, look, I this no, I is applaud what, it too. I'm, why am I going to go find somebody else to make the decision? Like, what's the point in me then? That is the American dream. It really is, and everybody that's like bitching at it, you know, it's like, eh, wait, like you're just upset that that isn't you. Oh yeah, that's you're that's upset straight. that you don't own a multi-billion-dollar sports franchise where you can make all the calls. Yeah, because like, where is the fun? I mean, I guess Robert Kraft is having fun. Yeah, because his team's winning championships. Because he's sitting up there and he's like, hey, I made a few good decisions hiring this guy. Right. And we lucked into drafting that guy. And now things are good. Sure. And it feels like you made those decisions. But Jerry gets to be in the, you know, he's in the weeds on every decision. Let's say you're Shad Khan. And where's the fun? Like, you hired a bunch of people. They're not making great calls. Your team stinks. Shad should be in there making. That's what I'm saying. Just get, roll the sleeves up, get in that boardroom, and start making some calls. Well, before he does that, I might call him and Tony back real quick and just say, "Look, just sneak me back. You know, get me back in the conversation." I want to re. That's the team I really want to rebuild. Just My saying, Jacks. Look, Shad wanders in there and says, "Look, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's that the man with the mustache gets it done. Therefore, Minshew is the starting quarterback. Make it happen." Hmm. Maybe he did that Maybe last that's week. That's what he did. Right. Yeah, they're, Maybe they're, he is taking control now. Yeah. He's like, I've seen sixth round quarterbacks win six championships before. That's what we're going to do. Nah, he didn't even go to that. He just went, look, I've seen mustaches take control before. <sighs> Rams that Cowboys. Man has a fine mustache. Get him out in the field. Who gets us off track more, you or me? Uh, I definitely did. you. I think we yeah. both. It's definitely you. We just, each of us. Dig further and yeah. further. Rams-Cowboys. Remember the playoff game last year when teams were starting to figure out the Rams yeah. late, in the, late in the season? The Cowboys did not figure out the Rams. They lost well, to the Rams. but They almost it, dared them to do the thing they, they wanted to do because they were also good at it. That was the point I was going to make. So the Rams, essentially what we were saying at the end of last season was team, teams, yes, they were doing that whole like six-man front type of thing, but they were also they were playing softer coverages on the back end, right? So they weren't uh, allotting as many people into the box. They were inviting the Rams to run. Mm. And the teams that had success doing that were teams like the Bears, who would simply win their one-on-one matchups up front. Yeah. Hakeem Hicks and Khalil Mack, they were just winning. The Cowboys employed a similar strategy. Hey, go ahead and run the ball. We're going to trust our D-line to win. And they lost badly. Mm. The Rams' offensive line absolutely whooped the Cowboys defensive line now there were some quotes going around this week talking about the Rams um, from right after the game almost saying like hey we kind of knew what they were going to do defensively knew when they were going to stunt knew knew how they were going to play things so there was some sort of tell or advantage that the Rams had but you know that was to me that's one of the things to watch in this thing do the Cowboys you know, similar strategy they're different teams but Cowboys inviting them to run and can they execute a little bit better this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Both of them are significantly worse than they were a year ago in terms of the things that we're expecting. The offense and defense, yeah. Right. The, the like couple things, Dallas's right? defense has fallen to pieces. The Rams' offense has been a mess. Um, what is interesting, though, is that the moves they made on the offensive line have had an effect. 
Like they've oh yeah they got for forced sure. injuries for the Rams. Uh, yes, Rob Havenstein going down honestly was the best thing that could have happened to that offensive line. Bobby Evans has come in and he's not been great, but he's been significantly better than Havenstein, who again. His play this season is one of the great unanswered questions of how the hell did that happen? It went from if, a guy that was right. a good right tackle to a disaster. Now, he's been injured, and I think he may have been playing through some stuff, but like he legitimately went from being a good right tackle that you're happy to have in your team to being one of the biggest weak links in a line full of weak links. Yeah, and if there was like a scheme change or something like right. that, it, was, it would be easier to explain. Right, because that scheme feels like it has protected guys through the years. This year, not so much. It has been just a revolving door of players this year so far. Right, but I think the last few weeks they've been a little bit better. Um, Bobby Evans, I think, has helped that. So maybe they're starting to get on track on the offensive line, which is huge for A, making Todd Gurley look good, B, letting Jared Goff, you know, have some kind of platform to work from. I think having all the receivers back will help as well. The whole, you know, so all this stuff works in synergy, right? Offensive line, quarterback, running game, receivers. Suddenly they're all kind of getting back together, at least at the same time. We also saw the Rams using a lot more 12 personnel. So that was less Cooper Cup and more two tight end sets with Johnny Munt in there. With Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby had a huge game. Gerald Everett's been banged up. We know that the Rams have pretty much been a one-back, three-wide-receiver type of system under McVay so far, but they got uh, a lot heavier uh, last week against Seattle with more two-tight-end type of looks. Um, Also interesting, they only had 14 guys play. I mean, we're still talking about kind of like the old-school Colts. They ran. I mean, the old school Colts, Colts with Peyton ran two personnel groups. Right. McVeigh's pretty much run one personnel group. Now he's he's expanded to two. Hmm. We're, we're running twelve personnel. We're running eleven personnel. So it's just um, the look. Plus, the Rams are two and zero since I talked to Zach. Since I talked to Zach, yeah, on that Saturday before the Cardinals game a couple weeks ago, the Rams' offense has just been fantastic. So they're probably going to keep it up. And I suggest well, you got to. You know, just keep your head down, keep grinding, work a little harder. I, I threw a few more cliches at him beyond that, too. And I think it's all, uh, I think it all hit home. I mean, honestly, the bigger thing over the last couple of weeks has been the defense. Um, like, they got absolutely annihilated by the Ravens. I mean, outside of that game, this defense has been really, really good. Well, they, I think they had the, uh, the stat on um, the broadcast that they've either been amazing or terrible this season, the defense. Like, it's nothing in between. They the Bucks game. They've held, like, a bunch yeah. of teams to almost nothing, and then when they haven't done that, they've been eviscerated. Um, so they got absolutely stomped by the Ravens, but then since that, basically shut down the Cardinals completely. Did pretty much the same thing to the Seahawks as well, albeit some plays in there. But, like, this defense has been much better since that Ravens game. Uh, for the Cowboys, Amari Cooper hasn't really looked the same in recent weeks been a little banged up um pretty much nothing on that offense has looked the same yeah it was a weird game for Dak uh, last Thursday night against the Bears you know there was a lot of it was just disjointed there were a lot of key misses and various things and then he starts to drop dimes but too little too late it's kind of like what Russell Wilson did against the Seahawks on Sunday night there was almost no offense and then kind of late in the game, Dak makes a bunch of throws. It's a little too little too late. They still ended up at 24 points, mm. the Cowboys did against the Bears. But um, and it wasn't all garbage time. It wasn't just taking 
underneath stuff. Some of it was, but he was still making some some nice throws there. So I, I don't know. I think the Cowboys are still more than capable offensively. I think it's the inconsistency defensively that has let them down more than the offense. Okay. That fair? Sure. I don't know where to go. I might change my pick in this game, though. Did I take Dallas? Yeah. I don't know, man. I think I think the Rams' offense, nice controlled environment, looking good, looking crisp. At some point, a team desperate to win their division and you know maintain some shred of dignity has to actually show up, right? At home. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know if the Dallas storylines are just so drawn out because Jerry Jones comments on them because they're Dallas. But re- again, remember last year, last year there was a time where it's like Jason, I mean, Jason Garrett had one foot in the coffin. Like it was done. He was going to get fired. The Cowboys were having the most disappointing year of any team in the league. And before you know it, they make a playoff push. I am not ready to write off the Cowboys. So I will go with that initial pick. I'm taking the Cowboys. I'm not ready to do it. The, uh, the ESPN radio hit that I do every Monday they're obviously Rams fans, so as long as they keep winning, they can still have their uh, chant of whatever and five still alive. Oh, yeah. So they need to win again. This So there's nine and five still alive. That's assuming they would still be alive if everyone else above them wins. Yeah, they still need some help, huh? Yeah. But they can't They can't get knocked out this week, right? Cause oh, the NFC is great. A six-win team could get in and an 11-win team could not. Yeah. That's all possible. That's right? going to cause that discussion again of do we need to reseed playoffs i don't know that comes up every now and again and gets immediately shot down i just love those discussions just love them it's interesting that that's the one that owners want no part of like you know there's a lot of things that they'll entertain as discussions the same kind of stuff that comes up this is one that they just go nope divisions divisions matter all right we're all taking uh you and i are taking dallas i don't have everybody else's picks it's too early we don't have everyone's picks everyone else is slow houston texans at the tennessee titans they're gonna play twice in the next three weeks yeah and this is going to determine the AFC South. Yeah. The Ryan Tannehill numbers. Superstar quarterback against Deshaun Watson. That's what it is. Mm. Superstar Ryan Tannehill against Deshaun Watson. I keep waiting for the wheels to fall off the Tannehill train. Not bad. I mean, I'm not even expecting him to have a terrible game. I'm just expecting him to not, you know, average 14 yards per attempt. Yeah. In a game. So it's like fun. have a normal Ryan Tannehill game. Right. It's, it's interesting because like I am um, Stephen Ruiz wrote a post basically saying that Ryan Tannehill is fool's gold all the numbers point to the regression and the last thing you should do is commit to him long term right which is why we talked on Monday about Ryan Tannehill was made for the franchise tag right sure. tag him make him do it again then he can talk but what is interesting is that quarterbacks any position really it is possible to go on a season long outlier run yeah, which course. seems weird Right, it seems like the wheels should at some point fall off, and you come back down to earth. Why? Like, it's bizarre that it should fall within the confines of a season and yet be unrepeatable. Yeah, it's it's also this weird dynamic that you need to call everything. Every, you know, we have to call for Tom Brady's demise because at some point, you know, he won't play. We have to call for Ryan Tannehill's regression. I would say more in the do we want to resign him long term? That's that's a more viable discussion. If we have to go in every single week and be like, well, this week it's not going to happen. Well, this week it's not going to happen. You know, just kind of let it play out. I didn't even realize in my, my fantasy team where I'm dominating and had to buy and have Deshaun Watson and Matt Ryan. Uh-huh. I've had Tannehill on my bench the whole, the whole year. I didn't even realize it. 
He's, he's been named, better than those guys, and he's just sitting on my bench. He's now the third greatest graded quarterback at PFF. He's the second graded rushing quarterback at PFF yeah. behind only Lamar. He's making plays. Like he is genuinely. This is completely great. different guy. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like what we said with Baker, right? Where it's like, hey, these bad things that he's doing, he showed on tape, and we said this is a weakness, and then it just started happening more and more and more. There have been times in Tannehill's career where the, like, he's been among the league leaders in big-time throws. There's times in his career where he's been near the top of our accuracy percentage numbers, just straight-up ball location. Are you putting it exactly where it needs to be? Tannehill has been at the top of various numbers. He's just never really done it all at the same time or put it all together or he's taken too many sacks or he's been terrible in the red zone. Or maybe the whole time, it's just he never really had the right supporting cast. They thought they needed to get him a deep threat with Mike Wallace. They thought they needed to get him a Devontae Parker, who never really developed until Fitz was throwing him YOLO balls. Like, maybe there's something to all that. Maybe he just always needed A.J. Brown. <laughs> I mean, that's going to help. I think there's definitely something to the idea that Ryan Tannehill's baseline is higher than it was the last few years, right? And I think we saw that earlier in his career. He's a better player than we've seen um, over the past couple of seasons, but neither is he as good as he is right now, right? The truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. The regression is clearly coming because what he's doing right now is ridiculous. Um, but it's like, so that's why it's, it's an interesting question is, sure, you don't, you don't negotiate now for a you know, five-year, $150 million contract because you know that this level of play is not what he is. But you also know that his level of play is not the disaster that it was the last couple of years in Miami. So, the bottom line is you need more information to find out where exactly that baseline is because trying to find the appropriate middle ground coming from those two extremes is silly. Yeah. Because you've got you're basically two disparate points at either end of the spectrum and you're trying to find the middle just by guesswork. Like where do these two things even out? Like you're going to need to find that out for yourself by keeping them around next year. The funny thing about Tannehill is we always like to look at the stable stats and the unstable stats. He's tearing it up at the stable stuff. So if you just look at PFF grade, you know, essentially grade per drop back in, in all the stuff that we believe in is easier to maintain. Clean pocket, early downs, um, avoiding negatively graded throws. Like he's top one to three in all of those things right now. Now the unstable stuff, he's also tearing it up. He's got the highest percentage of positively graded throws. Those are the things we've said from quarterback evaluation standpoint, it's easier to, to know if you're going to have negatives, right? Because that's more on you than anything. The positives are slightly dependent on playmakers and opportunity. So when you do have an A.J. Brown getting open down the field, you have more opportunities for positive grades so that we know those. Po- if, when you have guys that have high positives, that could regress a little bit and that it can be dictated. And this is intuitive, right? It's like, hey, give this guy a bunch of playmakers, give him time to throw, and he'll tear a team apart. There's something to that. The positives will fluctuate a little bit. The negatives will remain the same. He's got the highest level highest percentage of positives in the league yeah. so one of the lowest percentage yeah. of negatives he's got he's basically doubled tennessee's expected points added per play yeah um put them right up there among the, among the best in the nfl baltimore's the kansas City's, the titans now because ryan Tannehill's the quarterback but, so he's uh, been he's been absolutely fantastic um i think from a from a what's going to happen this season standpoint, I think you can kind of expect so the Titans him to continue be- to roll, right? The Titans have become the Texans, and the Texans have become the Titans. Oh, yes. Have you? Are you just coming to that conclusion, or are you stealing that from me? Because um, I definitely 
said they flipped. I'm just coming to the conclusion that they flipped. I definitely heard you at one point say that the Texans had become the Titans. Yeah, well, it's I'm annoying. Now, we, couldn't, we couldn't predict, and it was all Mariota's fault. Yeah. Because you couldn't predict Mariota earlier in the year. Now you can't predict Deshaun Watson. Or the Texans generally. You go beat the Patriots, lose yeah, or the Broncos coverage, yeah. at home. You get through locked. So does that mean... So does that mean... They lost last week, so they should bounce back this week. So this should be a battle for the ages. Like, on paper, you've got Hall of Famer Ryan Tannehill going up against the Texans secondary. Yeah. He should tear them up. Right, but so should Tom Brady and the Patriots. Yeah, but they're not good anymore, hmm. offensively. Okay. But if the if the Texans are now the Titans and therefore bounce up and down, they're coming off the, back, the down... This has got to be back up. So the Texans, like, out of nowhere, are just going to shut down. Tannehill's going to go. Well, no, so that means that this game should be a battle of Super Bowl teams. It should be. Um, A.J. Brown's been absolutely fantastic. He's uh, third in the league in yards after the catch. Rookie, wide receiver. You watch him, and every time you see him, you ask more and more how the hell that guy fell to 50 in the draft. Honestly, I think a huge part of it, it, like, you remember the way I say Maurice Hurst, like, Maurice Hurst lost a round of draft stock because he spent his entire career playing next to Rashawn Gary and just looked like a child. You're going to blame DK Metcalf for this? Yes. I am going to blame DK Metcalf and his, like, superhuman, even in that picture. Like, it's like, here's DK Metcalf, AJ Brown standing, like, three feet to his right, looking jacked out of his mind. And nobody notices. Yeah. But he's awesome. Yeah. He's been fantastic. He's what he's no Corey Davis, but you know, he's mm. he's making some plays. Yeah. So Tennessee's offense has been fantastic. We've talked about Watson's volatility. Um another, you know, kind of a dud last week until you know made a few plays down the stretch. But you know, this needs to be one of those games where Watson is playing his best, right? And Houston has only showed flashes of what that offense can look like when they're spreading the ball. In the New England game, they were so good. Spreading the ball around, they were throwing to backs, to tight ends, to nuke. When they needed, like It was one of the most well-balanced passing attacks that we've seen from Houston. We've seen that at various times throughout the year. They need to get back to that. Yeah. Spreading the ball around and getting after it. They do. I mean, in theory, this should be a good offense. I don't know why they're struggling for consistency so much Tennessee's also one of those teams um, they do a really nice job defensively doing sim- similar stuff to what we're saying the Ravens do crowding the line of scrimmage creating indecision with the offensive line and you can you can trick Watson into a few sacks essentially you can give him some some looks post snap that he doesn't like he'll hold the ball a little bit too long so that's something else to keep an eye on um, here's the other interesting about thing about um, Tannehill our system loves him other advanced systems that focus on throwing the ball like him mm-hmm. so espn's got stuff and next gen and all these different things like he's completing passes at a high rate and passes that in their system aren't necessarily completed at a high rate so he's doing great there qbr still has him like 13th or something like that though and qbr is very very driven by rushing or losing sack yards so Tannehill's still getting sacked at a pretty high rate so every number that has him throwing the ball Pretty much agrees he's been unbelievable. And then QBR, which really deducts um, maybe too much for sacks. I don't know. But it really weighs sack yardage a ton. Has him a little bit lower. So, again, something to keep an eye on with the, with the Tannehill stuff. He was our top-graded player. 
last week. Yeah. So where are you going with this one? Do you believe in uh, Tennessee, or are you going with the the new Titans, the the Texans? No, Tennessee riding the Ryan Tannehill bandwagon. I am too. I don't know if we differ on anything. Do we? Somewhere along the way we might. When I change my Dallas pick. All right, let's go Seattle Seahawks at the Carolina Panthers. Hmm. What you looking for in uh, in this one? Another inconsistent team. Yeah. And then, you know, the Kyle Allen train. I, so I said before that there was basically no point in playing Will Greer. I'm starting to think that you might as well just throw him out there. You probably should. Kyle Allen at this point is just, it's not getting better. I would, I would. I don't know that it get. I don't know that it actually does any good. In that, what like there's nothing you can see from Will Greer in the final three weeks of the season that can convince you of him either way. But at this point, you're not getting anything out of Kyle Allen, so why not? With Will Greer, you just dice? like we mentioned the Drew Locke comparison, right? Drew Locke, I don't think has been nearly as good as his stats would show, but he's definitely been better than what we saw in the preseason. Yeah, if and you just got that out of Will Greer, and better than the other guys, right? And like, better there's, than there's a notable right. difference between Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, and and Drew Locke. Oh, that's fair. And yeah, it's the point is that Drew Locke was a disaster in the preseason. And so a lot of people like to say that, look, preseason doesn't mean anything if you play well, right? Like, if you play well, it's well as preseason. It doesn't mean anything. Everyone's playing vanilla. You're expected to play well. But a lot of people think it does mean something if you play like crap, right? right. Like, if you can't succeed in preseason, we have problems because right. this is set up for you to look good. Um, so for him to come out and buck that trend, I think, is significant. It's like he looked bad in preseason, came out and looked significantly better, you know, when bullets are firing for real. So Will Greer looked disastrous in preseason. Maybe he would look okay in real action. Having said that, he also looked disastrous at the Senior Bowl, which is less explainable. Yeah. I'm just saying at I don't this know, point. I don't understand all that. At this point, I'm bored with the uh, Kyle Allen thing. I say just oh, throw fair. Will Greer out for the final three weeks. So Seattle's still fighting for their for their lives as far as, um, you know, first-round buys and winning the division and all that stuff. Um, a lot of talk about Russell Wilson's regression, which I don't think is real. Mm. There's been – so he's – if there's been a regression to Wilson's game these last few weeks, it's been more in like – he's been more like the Carson Wentz – more the way Carson Wentz has been this season, where Wilson – in that offense, he was just so efficient early on. He was good. Short game, deep ball, all that stuff. Now it's like he's probably leaving some plays on the table, missing a few more throws than he had, taking a few more sacks than he was, but still making those big-time throws. That should have been, like, against the Rams, he had a couple that should have been game changers. A couple weeks ago was the Minnesota game on Monday night. He put one right at the end zone, and David Moore just didn't put his arms up. And, like, he's making a lot of good throws that are not resulting in completions. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, his grade was still really good uh, against the Rams. So, yeah, I can buy that. Um, I don't have much else on this one. Obviously, the Panthers are, are done. I think they're – if you're a Panthers fan, you're in this, you know, looking toward the future mode, and, you know, they just – they just brought Shaq Thompson back. We talked about that a little bit on Monday. It's trying to figure out which of these pieces are they building around. Um, I do find it interesting that they've they're redoing, they're revamping the entire team, right, from top to bottom, yeah. head coach and front office, and they re-signed Shaq Thompson. Yeah, like sight unseen. We have no idea what scheme we're going to run. We have no idea 
about anything, but we just said, well, Shaq Thompson's going to be a part of it. That's just an inter- those those decisions are interesting when you don't truly know. I mean, it could be Todd Bowles could be in there running a man coverage scheme. And he's like, well, Shaq Thompson doesn't fit this. Who knows? Well, at some point you have to like you can't just pause business for six months. You got to keep going. Yeah, right? I understand. And I think, you know, and I don't hate the signing. I like Shaq Thompson. I think he'll be fine. And he could fit multiple schemes and all that stuff. It's I mean, just interesting that you're making long term decisions without any idea about who. I mean, I think those probably the a certain degree of like. Decisions of a certain magnitude probably shape the guy you hire, right? Yeah. It's like you're not going to bring it. If you just hire somebody that you believe, or if you just re-sign somebody that you believe is a future cornerstone of this team, talent-wise, you're unlikely to then go out and hire somebody who diametrically opposes the scheme that doesn't fit that guy in the slightest. True. Now, it's not necessarily a deal-breaker if it's what one guy, but you know those probably shaped the hiring process. All right, we're taking the Seahawks in this one. Big shock. Yeah. Seahawks get back on track. Always interesting to see how any defense goes up against Christian McCaffrey because that's obviously the major thing in Carolina. Um, McCaffrey and Wagner. Yeah. I like that. Miami Dolphins at the New York Giants. Daniel Jones could potentially be back as of uh, when you hear this. We're going to record two segments, a Daniel Jones segment and an Eli Manning segment? No. That would render uh, Eli with a losing career record. Hall of Famer Eli with a losing record. They even pulled that out in Monday Night Football. He'll be like, Here's some of the great quarterbacks of all time with a losing career record. And it's like Joe Namath. It's like, yeah, you got to go back to the 60s where that was. Oh, they're going to use Joe happened. Namath, huh? It was Joe Namath. There were three. Like, they, he he might have been the most modern one. It was Joe Namath, Sonny Jurgensen. Who was the other one? Somebody else, like, way back in the day. It's like, if you have to go back to the 60s to find the last time that happened, it's probably a problem. Eli. I mean, Eli showed what we've been saying, I think. Like, imagine Dave Gettleman was talking about looking at three drives in the Senior Bowl mm-hmm. and saying, well, I knew, I knew Daniel Jones had it. Yeah. He had three drives in the Senior Bowl. If you saw the three drives that Eli led in the second quarter. Right. You'd be like, he still has it. Playoff bound. Right? I mean... Nothing sums up the idea of, like, evaluating a quarterback based off, like, OTAs or Senior Bowl than the Monday night game with the New York Giants. If you just watch the second quarter, you're like, Eli still got it. And, yes, he's still one of the top 32 to 40 quarterbacks in the world. Right? 32 to 40. Like, he's in the top 40. Sure. He might be in the top 32. Yeah. Right, So Eli Manning is absolutely capable of leading touchdown drives in the NFL. Nobody's questioned that. It's been the truth for the last five years when he's graded horribly like a bottom third quarterback. That's the bigger issue with Eli, that they were slow to move on. So you watch the second quarter. He can move the ball. Everything else was, was a little bit rough against that Eagles team. Um, and a huge amount of that was we, <laughs> this Eagles secondary is garbage. I mean, there was just plays where Darius Slayton's just running behind them. Right, just didn't get covered. Slayton's been been really nice, man. We're talking about a, an athletic guy that's become he's a good. big play threat. Yeah, yeah. He's had. I mean, he's had his rookie inconsistencies. There's a reason why he drops. I mean, there's bat poor routes and various things that have come up and some drops and all that stuff. But as far as like adding a big play element, I, I might be coming around to what you said. Like maybe the playmakers aren't that bad because you know. If you have Sterling Shepard out there, if you have Golden Tate out there and you have Darius Slayton, it's not the worst. And, and when Evan Ingram's healthy, I know there's a lot of health issues throughout the season. But that group in isolation, if you add, say, like an Odell Beckham to it, 
Now, if you now if you add like a number one really good talent to it, that's a nice group. There's like half of New York in my timeline at the moment trying to act like nobody ever criticized the receivers. Oh, I've been I've been giving Daniel Jones a bit of a pass, right? The whole year. Now, okay, he's been missing a lot of these guys for a lot of the year, yeah. but. Like Slayton has been there for a large amount of the time, and he's a good receiver. Yeah, I think when you look at supporting cast, you just have to say, okay, let's watch the actual throws where this guy um, either is a part of the play or just look at his targets. Right. I mean, if Darius Slayton is behind the defense, then you can't complain about him being a problem. Right. It doesn't matter where he was drafted, what year of the, in the league he is. He just created a deep ball opportunity. Right. If you have other receivers who never do that and they have big names, then they're not that you know. Then they're not creating those mm-hmm. opportunities. So. Um, my point with the whole Eli thing is, yes, like any him and Daniel Jones are pro- like kind of at a similar level right now, except Jones can Jones has shown he can make yeah, some special Jones throws in his twenties and Eli's in his thirties. Yeah. So, you know, Jones has shown that he can make some special throws that Eli probably can't make anymore. And Jones pocket presence has just been bad. You actually do see Eli who's had bouts of poor pocket presence throughout his career well, still gets the ball, gets rid of the ball quickly enough and yes. knows where he's going. And that Jones was a huge thing. Fumbles. Right? So, People did point out, rightly so, that the biggest criticism has been the offensive line is a disaster, right? You're like, well, okay, the offensive line has not been good, but it's not as bad as it's being made to look by Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones holds onto the ball too long. Daniel Jones invites that kind of pressure. So this game was a perfect example because the Eagles get a ton of pass rush pressure up front, as we said, even with some guys missing. Now, Nate Solder was an embarrassment on a few plays. Right, He gave up a sack, a hit, a hurry, and they were all terrible. And there was a few plays where he looked absolutely ridiculously bad. But the offensive line as a whole gave up, what is that, seven total pressures between five guys because Eli Manning got the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. Right, There was only like four yeah. guys that got, got the ball out of his hands faster than Eli did this week, which is what I said going into this game that Eli is going to make this line look a lot better than Daniel Jones did just because he knows how to get rid of the ball faster. Um, So you can criticize the offensive line for saying that Daniel Jones doesn't have any kind of hope because he's just getting buried because there are five turnstiles out there. Or you can say that Daniel Jones has a greater control over that pressure than any other human being on the offense, and he needs to assume a greater responsibility for that pressure than he has been right now. It's not a reason to give him a pass. It's another thing that he needs to improve on. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen quarterbacks speed up their process a little bit. Particularly young quarterbacks. I yeah. mean, it's what we said. It's what we've been saying all year, that one of the greatest defining traits of young quarterbacks is they hold the ball too long. Right. All of them. Yeah. Because that idea, that cliche of, you know, the game's just moving too fast for them, where that manifests itself is in pressure. It's right. not that, oh, the game's moving too fast for them, so they make some bad interceptions because they're late, right? They do, but that's not where that shows up the most. Where it shows up the most is every single down, you're slower to process than the veteran, so pressure gets to you. Right. And I think, you know, we've seen Carson like Carson Wentz has done it a little bit. Jimmy Garoppolo's done it through their career. That, that, that doesn't mean that they don't have times where they still hold it too long. Generally, if it's the thing you – like the Baker stuff, right? If it's the thing that you do – it's a thing that some years you're going to do more than you would like, and other times you're going to do it less than you would like. So, um, you know, there's still room for that to improve. So if Daniel Jones is back, I think he'll, you know, recapture some more of the big play elements and just has to not throw as many turnovers. And then he's going to be, you know, is Daniel Jones and 
Ryan Fitz is that is that Spider-Man meme too? Hmm. I know because Jones is not nearly as fun as Fitz. Oh, not as fun. No. Okay. But you, you could see Daniel Jones like end of his career. He's come right now. He's like khakis and a button down. But at the end of his career, he's got the big old beard, and he's. Yeah. You don't think no, he's gonna? I don't think he's got that in him. Evolve into that? No. Okay. I don't think he's got it in him. What are you? What are you looking for on uh, in this game here? Uh, well, I so Eli or Daniel Jones. I don't think it matters. They're basically the same human at this point. Uh, I not so much what you're looking for, but who's going to win? Yeah, I think the Giants will win. I took the Giants as well. Oh man, Fitz is gonna he's gonna yolo them to victory against this Giants secondary. There's a very real chance of that happening. Our guy DeAndre Baker playing much better football. Two out of the last three weeks, great and really well. He was in my top five rookies at NFL.com this week. All right, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Proper Cloth. That's what we're wearing here, Sam. Yeah, that's from PropperCloth.com. As is this shirt right here, guys. We have twenty dollars off for you. PropperCloth.com slash PFF. Use the promo code PFF20. These are custom-made, custom-fitting mm-hmm. shirts. Cacti on mine. You don't like the cacti That was your first one. Yeah. It's growing on me. Yeah? It's growing on me. Huh. I ended up, you know, I was playing around with the website. I ended up getting many different shades of blue, this being Yeah, you're very, it turns out you're, you're very laser-focused on the blue. I just, it's what catches my eye. But I, I got a lavender shirt as well. You did. But I, I, I love the customization options. And, of course, for a big guy like me, it's a lot easier to get something that actually fits. Fits here. Not Ryan fits. Fits here. Mm. The sleeves fit. And then I'll be over at the ESPN College Football Awards. I just packed three other proper cloth shirts for wow. uh, You're taking them on the road? Trip. Taking them on the road. Okay. Taking our sponsors on the road. So propercloth.com. Slash PFF. The promo code's PFF20. You get $20 off your first shirt. And the shirts are fantastic. They're made from the best fabric producers from around the world. Each of the shirts goes through their extensive quality control testing. So you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. And the thing I love, too, if it doesn't fit, you just send it back. I had one that was eh, a little too wide. I sent it back. They got the fit properly for me because that's what they do. It's proper cloth. You'll get your proper fit stop wearing shirts that don't fit start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt see why proper cloth is the best custom shirt maker propercloth.com slash pff promo code is pff 20 denver broncos at the kansas city chiefs we have an emergency at my house my wife keeps calling me nice. the emergency is that she cannot find the remote huh sorry i can't talk right now I think we have different definitions of what an emergency is. At least she told me what, through a text message what it was. Yeah. First. Yeah. Okay. Either that and then maybe there's a real emergency. On top of the uh, lost remote. I didn't even have the remote yesterday. I didn't use it. Here, talk about the uh, Broncos and Chiefs. Talk about the Broncos and Chiefs. All right. Well, the Chiefs' big victory against the New England Patriots showed that they are still legit. But Patrick Mahomes was not at all good in that game. Banged up with a busted hand. Like... Hurt his hand, was constantly rubbing that down. Came up at one point clutching his ribs in addition to the dislocated knee that he had a while ago and an ankle that topped the whole thing, that started the whole thing off earlier in the year. That dude is busted up more than any other quarterback in the NFL right now. So I'm willing to cut him a break in terms of the Patriots game, but what kind of effect does that have in this game? Is he still going to be playing like he's been banged up that much? Or, you know, has he got a bit of, did he get a bit of spring back in a step? Yeah, I mean, week. man, when you look at there's a lot of interesting storylines here because Drew Locke is on the other side, too. And this could go either way. Like we, we're going to come out of this game being like, 
we just saw Drew Locke go head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes, right? Or it's going to be like, well, Drew Locke, you know, Spagnuolo's defense, they like to attack, create pressure, and Drew Locke has regressed back into what he was. But to, to finish the Mahomes thought, you know, you're still seeing how dynamic that offense is, even though they're not putting up points. And this is why I think, you know, being able to separate quarterback performance from offensive performance is important you know Mahomes has the fifth highest percentage of his yards coming after the catch which you know people have asked me what does that mean I think it means multiple things it depends on the the year and the quarterback I think in the Kansas City situation it is because they man they scheme it up he they have a good screen game and they do just put guys in space right Mahomes can still make all those special throws he's still just missing more throws than he did a year ago the easy stuff was the most impressive thing I thought he did last year was just going through the offense, running it, and finding the open man. And then the highlight reel stuff was awesome, right? I mean, that was great. That's what probably elevated him from good to MVP. But he was good because he just ran the offense and found the open guy on time and accurately. Didn't miss throws. This year he's missing far more throws. If he can just stop missing throws, I don't need the highlight reel stuff from Mahomes. You have Tyreek open all the time. You have Miko Hardman beating man coverage. Like the speed on this team with Travis Kelsey, those speed receivers, all those guys. I mean, they should be dominating still. Yeah, and a huge amount, like a, a huge amount of those misses, I think, is down to all the injuries. Now he was missing the first couple of weeks of the season as well, but I think at a lower rate before he got properly banged up. And at that point, it's like, well, like he's battling through just everything, particularly like. Against the Patriots, there was an injury to his throwing hand. Like, no. That has to screw up your accuracy. His hand is banged up. His ribs look like they were banged up. You know, I, I think his knee and ankle. I mean, the ankle injury is like six injuries ago. That was his first right. one this year. And even if those things are fine, right? You then, like, if you get an injury to your throwing hand, that's going to screw up your accuracy. There's no way around that. So let's. Like, the only thing we can do is hope that that has fixed itself in the course of a week. I also think quarterbacks remember we talked about quarterbacks own their pressure they own their injuries for the most part there are some freak injuries but he takes a lot of hits right he brings i think jimmy garoppolo takes a lot of hits that he probably shouldn't take there's a lot of guys that don't have the best feel for let's not take a hit versus let's just make this little extra play mahomes has still taken a few too many hits and I think that's what's added. And I know the the knee injury was a freak injury on a yeah. QB sneak. I think all of the other ones, though, are adding up from him taking hits. Andrew Luck was a guy who always invited hits and pressure. So I think that's something you have to keep an eye on if you're a Chiefs fan with Mahomes. Now, Drew Luck, um, high 60s grade over the last two weeks. Last, last week, the stats were incredible. He He's had two bad interceptions in his first two starts, rookie-type misreads of linebackers and safeties. But you mentioned it. The offense looks different. So I'm in the middle of this, like, stats were incredible last week. I'm not ready to crown him. But he is attacking, driving the ball down the field, and giving, you know, the Cortland Suttons of the world and Noah Fants of the world some opportunities to make plays. By the way, Noah Fants had 83 yards after the catch on Sunday alone. Well, had that, and then, like, was winning contested catches. That was a good throw. <laughs> that's not his, right that's by the not his game. Like, when Noah Fant is winning contested catches, strange things are happening. Well, Drew Locke's elevating him. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, but, yeah, the, this, the offense does look different. They, again, they have playmakers, right? This is a team that's got a couple of good running backs, different styles, and good. 
it's got Cortland Sutton having a really good season despite a revolving door of bad quarterback play and then Drew Locke. Um, you've got Noah Fant suddenly making different types of plays than the ones we expect him to make, plus the ones we expect him to make. This offense should be good. It's got a lot of talent to be that good. And then the defense has still got a lot of impressive players, albeit I, I don't think they've quite... They're in the system where... They've been running one thing for years, and then a guy comes in with a completely different defensive system. And even if that guy is really good, that's going to take some time for the personnel to work itself out. Right. Because they basically did what you talked about with the you know the Shaq Thompson thing, and then, right, the guy comes in, a bunch of people don't fit that. Right. So this is going to take some turnover to get this thing to work. If Locke has another big game, and, and you know the Chiefs win 30-27, to 27, they're in lock you know they put up some some good numbers again in the passing offense there's going to be this is drew lock the second best quarterback in the afc west is he you know is he better than Derek carr and philip rivers right now or are they set up to compete with the broncos next year there's going to be some some crazy stories coming out and i'm just not i'm not ready on uh not ready on drew lock just yet yeah nobody's ready to make the apology Jim Nagy's calling around the league saying, why did, you, why did he fall to the second round? I just saw this one good game against the Texans. That tweet made it sound like he did that before the second game. Like after one game, he was phoning people asking them why they screwed up. No, he said it was, I'm watching him carve up the Texans. Right, but he made the, the way it was worded, it sounded like he'd made the phone calls before he was watching that. Like, even if he hadn't, like two games, in, like one and a half games into it, let's I, say. I, I've seen it all because I Can mean, you imagine I've seen, taking a phone call from a guy being like, hey, how come you missed on this dude? I've like, seen people apologize to Daniel Jones after the preseason. Six quarters of action. Yeah. How about we wait a while and see if we actually did miss? Nobody wants to wait. Nobody wants to wait. Let's just wait. We're all taking Kansas City. We're both taking Kansas City in this one. Yeah. We're on to Cincinnati. New England Patriots are coming to town this weekend. Mm. Patriots at the Bengals. The Patriots coming to town to pick up the tapes. We're not discussing the tape, the, the documentary by Patriots.com. <laughs> uh, it doesn't look good. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. I don't think it looks. I think it looks like Patriots.com is doing stuff. Does it? Uh, they, we, you're not at all concerned by the report that the tape featured eight minutes of sideline signals i don't know tyler's done b-roll for us over at the combine where you just you know you're staring at the sideline b-roll stuff for people giving signals we we got the sideline at uh lucas oil during the combine mm. we just got eight minutes of it okay it's fine it's just b-roll sure it's entirely above board and legit i don't even care we're not even discussing that nonsense but patriots at the bengals the patriots per our elo rankings have the easiest schedule to finish the season and that includes a schedule that has the Bills on it. Which is just as well, because they might need it the way they're playing. Yeah, so Bengal, they have the Bengal, Bengals, Bills, and Dolphins to finish the season. They pretty much need to, um, I mean, they could they could drop one and still have the number one seed, or uh, bye, I should say. Yeah, I mean, technically. But, I mean, they kind of have to win out to just secure a bye, which is huge, obviously, for the Patriots not having to play that extra game. If you can't get any kind of offensive rhythm going against the Cincinnati Bengals defense... You got I will problems. say their defense has played well in recent weeks. Right. But they're look, feisty. They're like Raiders feisty. Yeah, but look who they've played in recent weeks. Yeah, I know. It's all dependent on that stuff. But they've uh, they've improved their ranking. 26th now overall. Yeah. They've played the Baker Mayfield Browns 
which have been a, like just a walking disaster start to finish. Sam Darnold and the Jets. Duck. Did they play Duck? That was Duck rather than Rudolph? No, it was Rudolph. Rudolph and then Duck. It was a combination. Yeah, Duck came back with the big right. long pass. The, uh, the Duck-Rudolph combo. Um, and then, you know, Derek Carr and the Raiders. Like, I'm just saying that you know, this is a game to find your offensive identity. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think so. I, I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to continue to watch what New England tries. You know, it's not like they're going to run new plays, but it's more about where they're putting people. Do they eventually, like they did, they schemed up one play for Nikhil Harry on Sunday and it worked. It should have been a touchdown. It was a really nice job putting him in space. And we talked about it being a tight end type of route. It was a flat route. It was essentially a tight end type of play. Do they deploy him that way? Do they start to adjust? I mean, Belichick's supposed to be the master of putting guys in position to succeed. I'm sure he's watched Nikhil Harry try to run routes outside at practice and failed. So um, I'm just curious to see if they continue um, to um, evolve on offense, if they just try to really unleash every trick play in the book, and if they can find any rhythm for for Brady in the passing attack. What level of concern do you think is in that building in terms of so obviously we're having this discussion about they, they're they struggling. They don't really know what they're doing on offense yet. The personnel doesn't look to be really there for them to do what they usually do. They need to do something different, right? They need to find some answers to this. Like, What kind of concern do you think they have in the building staring down the barrel of the playoffs with the situation the way it is on offense? I think there's some concern because it's, uh, it's many weeks it's many weeks of um, inconsistent offense. Yeah. Right? And there was points where it's like, oh, you know, they've run into some bad weather. They've run into this and that. But, like, the evidence is mounting right now. And then, um, you know, we talked about, you know, Brady having one of the highest numbers of miscommunications and throwaways and his negatively graded throws are going up. Right? So it's like you can handle Brady playing like a 42-year-old if everything around him is a little bit better, right? And you just see like a slight decrease in offensive production. If everything is getting worse and he doesn't know where receivers are going to be and when they are there, he's missing them and, you know, guys just aren't getting open, whatever it is. I mean, that's what's happening with the offense right now. There's almost nobody left on this offense that's grading well. Um, James White is good, but like, he doesn't play enough for a start for you can't to feature, be the only focal point of an offense. Yeah, you can't feature a pass-catching running right. back. Joe Tooney's played well. Um, even he hasn't been dominant run-blocking, which you know is not that important, but like even he's not perfect, right? Tom Brady is heading in the wrong direction all season long. Um, Julian Edelman is the guy we keep pointing to as the one guy on offense that he trusts. Like Edelman hasn't been playing that well. Guy's oh, he's got a ton of drops. He's grading well. I mean, if he just... I always like to isolate the drops. I mean, he's getting open way more than sure, these other guys. Like, again, it's like if that's your one thing, problems, right? No, he's I get he's it. the one guy we're all pointing right. to saying he's the only guy in this offense that anybody has any trust in. And even he's not playing that well. Like he's had better seasons than this before in isolation, even independent of everything else that's going on. So everything else is bad. So I think schematically, if you do look at the way teams, and it's not, it's not like teams do this every time, but teams have given way more attention to Julian Edelman. They could easily use him on the outside as more of a decoy. Jacoby Myers runs pretty good routes in the middle of the field. And Nikhil Harry can be a middle of the field. You take your two rookies, let them work the middle of the field, put Julian outside, 
And, you know, to me, that's one of the adjustments that they have to try. And they just they need to get something out of Muhammad Sanu. I mean, they traded a second rounder for Muhammad Sanu, and they have to get something out of him, right? And then Brady has to trust these guys. He's got he's to make throws that, um, that show some trust and that, you know, give these so, guys an opportunity yeah, to make plays. That's an interesting aspect of this, right? Because our colleague there, Solomon Wilcox, thinks that the big problem here is that the, either Brady doesn't trust him to or they're not good enough at it. The receiver is making the side adjustments in the middle of the play, right? Something you have to read what's going on. There are right? specific examples of that. Right. Those are the ones that we would call miscommunication. So sure. we actually have numbers to back that up. But yes. even even beyond the ones where it's even the one beyond the ones where they're definitely screwing it up to the point where Brady's put the ball in the air and it's not where it should be, right? The ones where they've done something different, he's seen it, Brady's seen it, had right, to slow it down and right. hesitate or has or simply doesn't trust them to do it to the point where he's holding on until he sees them do it, right? right. Whatever it is, those things collectively do we need does Brady essentially need to say, you know what, I just this is never going to work if I don't trust these guys to make these reads. I have to just start doing it. And okay, I might look worse because of it because it's going to create some miscommunication. It's going to create some interceptions where I look like a moron because I trusted a guy to be somewhere he wasn't. Yeah. But it's a, it's a greater good, right? That is a better scenario than me just not trusting them to ever be there and holding the ball longer and just the whole thing melting down. Like at some point I have to just say, look, <laughs> I have to trust these guys. Otherwise we right. can't win. There's something to it. I mean, I was actually thinking about this the other day. When you watched Carson Palmer play, there were so many passes. He threw a lot of interceptions on miscommunications. And it was like the read wasn't wrong. It was just you had to throw the ball early, and the, and, but, the, the, but the receiver needed to finish his right. route at the right time and be in the right exact spot. And if he's off just by a little bit, you know, that's it. Brady has always been a little bit more. You always hear about quarterbacks throwing with anticipation. He can, like, he can do everything, but... He is more comfortable, I think, as like a see it, mm-hmm. throw it type of guy, right? So he would rather have Wes Welker run an option route, think he's going to run the out, see, confirm it that he's going to run the out, and then throw it accurately as like a, an extended handoff, right? I mean, there's that's not every pass, but then but, nobody's getting open, so you got to change something, right? So he would rather see it, confirm it, and throw it, and that's why I think he's had one of the lowest interception rates um, in in history, right? Is because he's on the same page with these guys. There are other routes that do have to be thrown early and with timing and all that stuff. And when you do that, Peyton throwing that comeback to Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, I always marveled at how often they would connect on that. Because we're talking like 16, 18 yards down the field. Peyton's throwing the ball early. There's so much trust and then precision by the receivers. And if the receiver's one yard off, it's an underthrow, right? Brady doesn't throw a ton of those routes. Um but, you know, in the Super Bowl against Atlanta, he busted them out, and that's what they did in the fourth quarter in overtime. Like, there are times when you have to rely on that stuff. So maybe there's there's something to, like, deeper routes down the field, a little bit more trust, and less confirming see-it-throw-it type of stuff at this point. Or just chuck it deep and hope for some pass interferences. <laughs> that's definitely a viable option. So we'll see. If New England can get back on track, they're on to Cincinnati. Andy so, Dalton has kept uh, the Bengals a little bit more competitive since coming back. You, I know you've said this without checking it, or maybe you checked it and just didn't tell anybody, but this idea that they have the slowest receiving core in the NFL, I just Googled all their 40 times, and uh, Philip Dorsett is the he's, only receiver. He's fast. Yeah, yeah, he's the only receiver on their roster 
that ran under four five. Under four five. Four five. Yeah, they just they looked that slow. Like Nikhil Harry is one of their fastest receivers in a straight line, and that dude can't separate to save his life. Yeah. We'll add Matt Lacoste and thirty eight year old Ben Watson to that mix. Ben Watson might be one of their fastest receivers. Well, not now. No. I mean, he now. ran a four four back in now. Ben Watson might be one of their fastest receivers. No, he cannot move. Neither can the rest of them. He can't move. And Lacoste is even slower. He, I think in a straight line, oh, God. Ben Watson. There were some passes. Brady yeah. tried to hit him deep a couple times where Watson looked like he was running in quicksand. He cannot, he cannot move like laterally or athletically. But I think What was Sanu? Sanu was like 4.55 five, five or something? No, Sanu was like 4.6 six something. 4.6, four, six, six, 7. Sanu might be the slowest in a straight line. They're, um, Antonio Brown's faster than that. Yeah. They, um, also available. I know. Also desperate to be resigned. I, I want to say it was a failure in team building, but there was effort made. There was effort to get Antonio Brown. There was obviously, they had Josh Gordon, but they let him go. I mean, it, it is a failure, a failure in team drafting. Building. I mean, you took Nikhil Harry when there appears to have been several better wide receivers yes. sitting there. I would be, uh, dude, I would take, you talk about taking a quarterback every year. I would take a receiver every year. I don't know. I would keep taking tight ends. I would throw so many playmakers at this because the, the passing attack, the playmakers and the quarterback can mask the offensive line. They it's, all can mask it. It's also, like, that's one of those things that's flippant and easy to say with hindsight, but that's how we had it at the time, right? Oh, yeah. Well, we would never take a running back in the first round. No, no, not the running back. So the idea of, yeah, the idea of, look, there were a lot better wide receivers sitting there than Nikhil Harry to take in the first round. Sounds easy to say now with hindsight. But, you know, you go back and look at our big board. We had, I mean, A.J. Brown, we had significantly higher than Nikhil Harry. Right. Would have taken him in the first round over Nikhil Harry. I would, We you know, we had these guys ahead at the time. Debo Samuel was tweeting or Instagramming about how he thought he was going to be a Patriot. He had such a good meeting with the Patriots. He was like, well, that's it. I'm the pick of 32. I'm the guy. Yeah. He thought he would be the guy. Mm-hmm. Debo instead is, how about just the, the two guys that, I made this point before, the two guys that the Niners got versus the two guys that the Patriots got. Man, Niners have annu, uh, Emmanuel Sanders and Debo. Mm-hmm. I'll get it. That's all right. I can get it. I always drop my pen on air. Dropping things again. Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel and the Patriots got Muhammad Sanu and Nikhil Harry. Yeah. I just find that as an interesting dynamic for teams that were looking to add playmakers over the last couple of years. I mean, at this point, just look at the list of receivers you could have taken. Actually, where did it go? (laughs) Right under your chair. Instead of uh, Nikhil Harry. You know, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin. Like DK just, Metcalf never really would have worked there as like a deep threat that can't move laterally, but probably not. Though at this point, would it have been worse? No. Like at least you'd have the deep threat. You don't have that anymore. Oh, and, they, and he could back shoulder it a little bit and all that stuff. Right. So Anyway, we spent a lot of time. I think New England gets back on track, as yeah. do you. But this is it's a big story. They need to show signs of life on offense against mm-hmm. the Bengals and Dolphins here in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers. Yes which features a top-five quarterback over the last three weeks against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Mitchell Trubisky's playing better than Aaron Rodgers in recent weeks. Yes. Rodgers really was off again against Washington. He was... Rodgers was poor. Rodgers had two of the worst games of his career in the last three weeks. He has. Which is very odd. He has. And last year at this time, we were debating, okay, Mike. everybody was trashing Mike McCarthy's offense. He is not giving Aaron Rodgers the middle of the field, and he's not giving him... Combo, you know, route combos where guys are open. You know how there's sometimes you watch games, and I'm watching the coaches' film in Green Bay. Sometimes you watch games, and you're just like, like when you're watching New England right now, you see 
not a lot of separation. It just looks like they're playing on a condensed field. And then sometimes you watch like a college game, and it just looks like you've got 12 receivers out there, and they're all open, and there's just space. Green Bay's passing attack actually created a ton of space and open throws last week. A lot. And Rodgers was just coming off of first reads when he wasn't supposed to. He was getting fooled post-snap with uh, defensive rotation, which is something that's always been an issue. And then when he did have open throws to make, like Aaron Jones running behind the defense, and um, I forget who else it was that he overthrew on a corner route, he was missing. Like, it was not a great all-around effort from uh, Rodgers. Right, and what's interesting is, so all the kind of narrative about him, it's always been a, it's been a conversation around what's been left on the table. It's not that you suck. It's just that, you know, he's maybe not the greatest quarterback in the world like a lot of people think he is. Right. right? So the conversation has been sort of like, what is currently wrong with Aaron Rodgers that's preventing him being the best quarterback in the NFL and merely consigning him to being somewhere in the top 10? Yeah. He's, we've never been dealing with why is Aaron Rodgers playing badly, which is what's happened two of the last three weeks. And actually, if you look back through his career, he really hasn't had a stretch like this. Like, that is... And this was after, early in the year, the passing production was low when we were like, wait, you know, Rogers playing a little bit better than you think, and and all that stuff. But the last few weeks, and this doesn't even include the Chargers game, right? I mean, there was the Chargers game where they couldn't do anything on offense. And it wasn't all on him, but there's been too many of these duds, man. He has had two other stretches of his career where he's had two stinking games in relatively short succession. Early 2016, did he have yeah, that? Yeah, early 2016... And then before that, you've got to go all the way back to 2008, right. his first year starting. So, like, this is weird. This is not what you expect to see from Aaron Rodgers, even if you accept all of the flaws that have been sort of thrown his way over the last couple of years. That's what keeps him at being okay and good, not, you know, as opposed to great, not bad. Like, this is the worst stretch we've seen for a long time, and that's confusing. Now, one of them was against San Francisco, so, you know, they're a good defense. But this was Washington. Washington was trotting a bunch of UDFAs out there, too, right. in the secondary. Guys that you may not have heard of, you know, the yeah. average PFF podcast listener. Then on so. the other side of the ball, you got Trubisky, who's actually playing well the last few weeks. He has. Um, now, so he's playing, I don't think he's been playing phenomenally, but he's playing well to the point where they can go back to running what the offense should be. Yeah. As opposed to this dumbed-down, idiot-proof version that Matt Nagy was trying to break out so that Trubisky might look a little bit better, right? Him playing at this level actually lets them run their regular offense, which, again, when they do that, looks fine. Like, yeah, and Matt they were... a good play caller. It's a good system. When you have a quarterback that's even vaguely viable, the whole thing functions. Yep, Bears have the number eight ranked defense so far this season. We talked about a bit of a regression, but they're still... They have regressed a little bit, but they're right. still capable. They held the Packers. It was a 10-3 to game back in week one. Wow. When these guys played. So here's looking for fun again. Yeah. Um, that game was was like, I was calling it the year of the third down sack. You know, because, you know, it was the first place. The third down sack left and right for Trubisky and Rodgers. This will be an interesting game because Green Bay still has Minnesota breathing down its neck for the division. Right. There's only a game to play with there, and they play each other next week, I think. Yeah. So Green Bay doesn't want to drop this game. And the Saints are out there rooting for the Bears to win. They're rooting for all of these teams to lose so they can get back into the right. buy situation. Um, so it's a big game. Uh, it looks like Neil's taking Chicago. He's riding the, the Trubisky bandwagon, train. huh? Well, him and all the other Bears fans are right back on that train. I'm not even going to. Bears fan now. Just 
unbiased analysis. Trubisky is playing great these last few weeks. Let's see if he can keep it going against the Packers. I'm still taking Green Bay in this one. Same. At home against the Bears. Yeah. All right, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Western and Southern. It doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western and Southern has partnered with us here at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success. Looking for insight on your financial future? Need an inside-the-huddle tip? Head to westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris. That's westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris, C-R-I-S, to ask Western and Southern and PFF your most pressing questions. You could even win tickets to the big game. I still can't believe Mm -hmm. there are potential tickets for the big game out there. Next read coming up. Get ready for it, fellas. Philadelphia. That one. Um, after a couple more games. Okay. We haven't timed this well because you've got to get on a plane like 25 minutes. Yeah, we've got to go. Yeah, let's we move. have eight games left. Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington Redskins. Give me one thing that we're looking for in the rest of these games. <laughs> it would be nice if the Eagles didn't still suck. Uh, they didn't play well again against the Giants. Three active receivers for Monday Night Football. That is cra- it was, That was crazy to go into a game with only three active receivers. One, you then lose one of them pretty early and a second one later on. Apparently, did you know that apparently they were like a down away from Josh McCown running routes as a receiver? He was the next man up. So they, I mean, their I mean, the actual the, receiver was Greg Ward, who is a quarterback. Was. So all of their receivers right. are quarterbacks. Like at the end of the game, they were the greatest thing was they were still lining up with like four wide. Well, they said Zach Ertz was like a receiver. Like, that was so, yeah. his position. For so the at game. the end of the game, they were lining up with legitimate four wide formations that featured Greg Ward and three tight ends. But apparently if, they, like, if somebody else went down, Josh McCown was going out there to just run receiver routes yeah. for the rest of the game. That would have been fun. But how insane is that to just like three is what you would tend to use for most of the game. What you're saying is we can't lose anybody to injury for any period of time. As I as I uh, anticipate my future general manager job, I do not look forward to the day. I mean, you, there's there's so much focus on the us included, the quarterback, draft this, draft that, get this guy, this first round pick, that first round pick. When you're that depleted from an injury standpoint, I, I don't know how, what you do. You know, I, do you? I don't know if teams are that much better at carrying a fifth receiver carrying a fifth linebacker because at some point you have to get to your fifth receiver your fifth linebacker your fourth corner and they have to play football at some point there are some teams where you're just it's seasons where you're just so depleted look at the 17 we go back to the 17 eagles they had no injuries that year right besides Wentz, but they made it through the season and they lost peters too maybe a couple but the rest of their team was healthy when you have so many injuries it can completely change things. Sure. But at some point, you can't roll into a game knowing that, like, if you did, I, I'm sure somebody has done this study, but if you checked, like, the average amount of snaps that are played by X number of wide receivers in a football game, it's going to be more than 100% for three. You're going to need to go to four and five at some point. And if you don't have four and five, they don't exist on your roster, you're going into a game with a problem. Anyway, oh, I agree. That we is- don't have time for this, Steve. Boston Scott is another thing to watch in this game because the man is amazing. That's all you care about. Boston and Scott. Terry McLaurin going up against that terrible Eagle secondary. Oh, my gosh. So this is how we're going to do this, right? I will take that game. That's what we're watching for. I'm taking the Eagles. You're taking the Redskins. On to the next game. What Tampa- are you looking for in Tampa Bay against Detroit? Well, the Jameis coaster, of course. Jameis in a dome? 
<laughs> Jameis gets to throw the ball. I'd it's just let him throw James 60. anywhere else. He No, watch this. In this game against Detroit, no interceptions because they're in a dome. Five touchdowns, no picks. Jameis throws for another 480. No picks. Jameis is going to do like a higher-end Trubisky where it's like this run down the stretch here is going to really fool a lot of people. Or did you see the uh, the tweet that dude, uh, I think it's Jeremy Eisenberg? No. I follow him. So he had a tweet uh, from The Office. Okay. You never saw this thing? This thing went viral. No. When Will Ferrell was on The Office and he was selling Andy and he was trying to sell him as, you know, as the paper salesman. And he was like, if you grab Andy as your paper salesman, it's either going to be the best decision you ever made or the worst decision you ever made. And he just keeps going on and on. He's like, if you want to play Russian roulette, Andy's your guy. And the tweet was basically like, here's uh, Jameis' agent negotiating his next contract. So it was perfect. Jameis has 33 turnover-worthy plays so far That's this it. season. At the end of this week, You're it'll still be 33. No more in this game? That's correct. It'll be 33 by the end of the week. Tampa Bay wins, and Jameis, I did forget he's thrown to, you know, Mike Evans is gone, and it doesn't matter. He's still going to chuck it up. Somebody else emerges on Jameis's YOLO balls. Chris Godwin. Well, yeah, obviously Godwin, but taking the bucks in this one as you are. Rashad Perryman's been sneakily making a few plays here and there. Yeah, that's the thing. He like, if you don't drop ball. everything, yeah. you can make some plays. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Oakland Raiders. The Jaguars have been putrid in recent weeks. As have the Raiders. This is the opposite, man. Derek Carr's got a great chance to just be aggressive and throw downfield, and he won't. So this is the Raiders, their previous sort of play essentially caught up to them over the last few weeks. They were... Basically, a, they were fool's gold. Everybody thought they were actual gold, but no, they were just shiny pyrite. Um, and then they came back down to earth. But they're now going up against a team where it doesn't matter because they're worse than they are. I'm taking the Raiders at home. I mean, they've, yeah. they'll be okay. So right? the Raiders are going up against Jacksonville, who suck. So simply by sucking less than the opposition, they will therefore win this game. Gardner Minshew's got to get life back on track, though. Yeah. Well, so this is. Did the league catch up to him? I don't know. Going to him, though, making that call where we were saying maybe they could have waited a week, they're now in like an awkward spot because if Minshew. back in? Right. If Minshew plays bad for a period of time, like, what the hell do you do? You I think. Throw falls back in, you have a complete coin flip at the end of the season. Like, what is your plan? They're doing the thing I would do, which is like, forget feelings. Like, Nick Foles is one of the most mentally tough dudes. Right, in the NFL, he can handle this. We're just going to throw him back in. Well, my point is more, what is the answer? It's not that you're oh, setting both guys. It's you've oh. bounced back and forth between two people, both of whom appear to have shown they're not the answer. Oh, you're not going to find the answer in the next three weeks. You're going to explore the answer again in the offseason. So you've gone from thinking you might have had like one viable quarterback in a nice backup situation to now we don't think we have any quarterbacks. And yet we've, we've kind of, we've, we don't think we have any of them and we somehow managed to undermine them both. Man. Just let the 16 games play out. Because, yeah, we were 10 weeks ago. We're like, man, the Jacks have a decision to make. And yeah. they've got Minshew. Let's trade Foles and all this stuff. And it's like, now, oh. it turns out the one wrong decision has gone from that to disaster. Yeah. Jacks need to get things back on track. But I don't think they're going to do it this week. Take anyway, the what Raiders. is the season, Steve? It is jingle balls to the walls, fella. Fellas, listen up. It's Manscaped's time. Is Manscaped.com. It? Excellent. It's Christmas Manscaping. This is our Christmas Manscaped support for the PFF NFL podcast. does come from Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. 
Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They do. They do. I've heard this on other podcasts. I saw a Manscaped ad on. Uh, I've seen the one pop of the NFL up I think our. I think the. I think these reads are starting to catch up to us in terms of Google now throwing Manscaped at us everywhere. They're all over my Twitter timeline. But I saw them on TV though. Like that's. Oh, not, I haven't seen them on TV, but they're all not, over my Twitter timeline. Yeah. They're all over like you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. They're everywhere. Yeah. Well, Manscaped's making some moves because they got the lawnmower 2.0 which comes inside their Perfect Package 2.0, which is a nice little gift for this holiday season. It might come across as funny, but it's useful, Sam. It's useful. Because the Lawnmower 2.0, you said the, you've got the 1.0? No, I said I... put I, them side by side? They, on their website, I got they you. have a side-by-side comparison of the 1.0 How do they the upgrade 1.0 to 2.0? What are people getting with the Many, 2.0? many more RPMs. That's, that's one of the big things. They cranked the RPMs through the roof... They added a bunch of other things. It's now rechargeable as opposed to just battery-powered, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so you've got the Perfect Package 2.0. You get the lawnmower as part of that. Also includes the Crop Preserver, the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. (laughs) You laugh when I say that in a thoughtful way. Honestly, I don't think the way you said it would make a difference to me laughing or not. Just that sentence is hysterical. (laughs) The products smell good. And then the Perfect Package also comes with Manscaped Boxer Briefs. That'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. Mm. True story. Between that and the anti-chafing ball deodorant, I mean, that's, that's setting, your, it's setting you up for success down below. It's all part of the perfect package, 2.0. You get 20% off. Wow, that's a great deal. For all this stuff, 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF over at manscaped.com. You know who's going to thank you? Your balls, Steve. That's right. They your will. They're going to thank you if you get the perfect package, 2.0. This holiday season. So 20% off, free shipping, promo codes PFF, manscaped.com, promo code PFF. God, I love Manscaped. Love you guys. Stick with us forever. Your balls will thank you. Your balls will thank you, manscaped.com. Cleveland Browns at the Arizona Cardinals. We have a battle of Baker Mayfield and Tyler Murray. We have a battle of disappointing sadness. Yeah, this is the sadness ball. Our last two number one graded uh, quarterbacks. Our last two got Kyler Murray, number one overall uh, big board rankers. Already set records for the most number of sacks he has been responsible for taking, yeah. and is trying to put that record like beyond out of sight. He's got six more than any other quarterback we've ever seen in a season, and there's still three more games in the season to go. So that is just is getting ugly. You've got the Browns, who are still the Browns. Like They are just spectacularly unable to get out of their own way across the board. You've got Baker coming out of a game with a pass rating of like 40, in which he drops like three different dimes in there that didn't count. One that should have counted, and they just decided to call it an interception because the ball got taken away from the guy on the ground. Two, drops in like a beautiful pass to Odell Beckham on the sideline, who seemed for all the world to have caught it, and then somehow managed to double catch it, juggle it. Like, this is Odell Beckham, the guy with the glue on his hands who can, like, snag a ball out of the air, and he falling backwards regular. with three fingers. Can't just catch it when it lands in his hands down the sideline. And, like, another thing on the other sideline, same idea. Like, we, they just, I don't understand how this team is so completely unable to get out of its own way. Inclu- and then, so during the week, it's all like, oh, Odell Beckham's trying to get his way out of Cleveland. Like, the ball is landing in your hands. Catch it. Yeah. Like if you had been, like, if you had had a situation where your quarterback was just consistently putting the ball nowhere near you, and you had been catching everything, doing all you could possibly do, 
Then Fine. you can say, I need a, I need a. Right. Then we can right. start, you know, making those kind of talk. And to be honest, this could entirely be manufactured. Like the whole thing is just. It also looked more like that in New York where it's like, here's Odell, here's Odell Beckham deep and Eli either didn't see him or overthrew him. Right. Like, there were more but specific like, examples of that. A lot of this is a media creation, right? Sure. Like the, the, somebody asked him about the future in Cleveland. He's like, I don't know what the future holds. And I was like, Odell Beckham is trying to get out of the, like, you know, yeah. that's not what he was saying. And then there was, you know, him talking to Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, well, he's trying to get out of there. He's trying to get over to San Francisco. Like, oh, they're just, you know, talking after the game. Like, they're just talking after the game. I, I, so in this game, I want to see what Kyler does to bounce back. I mean, too many misreads of coverage and fumbles. And you mentioned all the sacks and all that stuff. I, I would like to see, you know, his ability to bounce back after I that. Like, I would like to see either terrible. of these offenses getting, their, getting themselves together. I'm taking Cleveland in this one. I. I, I think Arizona trending the complete opposite. I'm I'm buying into the small sample sizes. Sweet. Rams turning it around and the Cardinals going the other way, so I'm taking the Browns. I'm also taking the Browns, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Minnesota Vikings at the Los Angeles Chargers. Is this one of those games? People think you hate the Vikings. Mm. One of those games where the Vikings just uh, have not, a tough time. It's not that I hate them as much as I think I'm pretty good at identifying the games they likely don't play well in. Yeah. Like... What was the last one that I did? I saw Denver. Could have been, yeah, yeah. So Denver, I thought they might lose that game, and they should have. And I didn't think they had a shot to lose, right? And they didn't lose, but you know, it, yeah, it was twenty again, to nothing. It was very half. close, and they should have. Um, this feels like a game they could easily lay an egg. They, you know, it's they're they're essentially looking forward to Green Bay. You know, the showdown in the NFC North, keeping pace in the in the division. You go on the road against the Chargers. You don't really have anything to play for. This should be the game that you just you just have to win this to get to the next one that actually matters. Consequently, this is the game you take lightly, don't play well. You get ambushed by Phillip Rivers, who's still capable of playing really well. Austin Eckler racking up 200 yards in a heartbeat. Like, there's still some problems with this Minnesota team. I mean, fundamentally, the other issue is that this team hasn't actually beaten anybody yet. Like... You know, they, they, I think they still haven't beaten a team that currently has a winning record. They've because, beaten teams that had winning records when they played. Because we thought them. that the Dallas win was huge and right. big at the time. It but turns out the Dallas just stink. So this team hasn't actually beaten anybody yet. Like, they're decent, but when they come up against teams that are capable of playing well, I'm not saying the Chargers are amazing, but we've seen that, like, last week, right? They're capable of going out there and having a really good game. So if the Chargers show up, I don't know that the Vikings are significantly better than them. Still a lot of talent on this Chargers team. Still Philip Rivers, who's you know got a ton of turnover-worthy plays, but he's capable of getting the ball down the field. Mike Williams making spectacular catches left and right. And plus, Derwin James is back. So that's always worth watching. Derwin yes. James, send him after Kirk Cousins. Let him fire one into his stomach. See what happens. I'm still taking Am I taking Minnesota? Yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking the Vikings here. Taking the Chargers. I'm not going to buy too much into the Chargers destroying the Jaguars. Neither am I, but I think, that's, I think that's emblematic of a team that's capable of having a decent game. And if they do, I think the Vikings are in trouble. Atlanta Falcons at the San Francisco 49ers. I think we're all taking the Niners. Best team in the NFC? Uh, you know, I, it's, I mean, obviously it's either them or the Saints. You have to go with wins and losses, right? Like they just won in New Orleans Did in a shootout. Go? Right, but they won because George Kittle rumbled 50 yards. He's on the 49ers. They've, that's part of their team. He is, but I'm just saying I doubt that one play happens again. If they, the same scenario. You can't, you can't sum up a 48-46 to 46 game by one play and saying, well, it's a fluke because that one play. I'm not saying it's a fluke. I'm saying if you did it again, would it go the same way? 
because it's one oh, of play. Of course, who knows? Difference. It's football, but well, that's my point. Like, if you're trying to say which team is better or not, then how that would happen if you played it again is pretty relevant to that discussion. Oh, people hate that. The Niners have the better record. They just beat the Saints at home. You have to say the 49ers. They must be better. Okay. I uh, think the Saints still might be the better side. Niners looking good. Calvin Ridley, I believe, out for the season Yeah, for the Falcons. And, uh, you know, they're just they're playing out the string. But much like the Chargers, they're one of those underachieving teams that in any given week can look pretty good. So they could give the Niners a game like they did the Saints. They beat the Saints a few weeks back. Yeah, they could. I mean, that was the exploding whale theory, but... Yeah, that was... Uh, I'm, yeah, I mean, We're taking the Niners here. Yes, there's no reason they should win this game. So I'm looking, let's go 49ers. I'm looking for clean play from Garoppolo down the stretch here. Which he had last week. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, He's I'm, had on occasion. I'm yeah. looking for continuous clean play from Garoppolo, who's, um, I think, starting to put it together a little bit more in recent weeks. One of the better games of the week. It got flexed to Sunday Night Football. The Buffalo Bills at the Pittsburgh Steelers, just as we expected coming into the season. This is going to be uh, one of the biggest games of the week. Mm. Sunday Night Football, the Duck. The Duck taking on Josh Allen. I like Josh Allen in primetime because something's, I mean, stuff's going to happen. If he has a second good, like, primetime performance, people are going to lose their minds. Like, he's going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. We're going to be talking about him as the next, as the greatest guy in that draft class. It's going to be ridiculous. The takes coming out of that are going to be absurd. <laughs> they are. He's obnoxious. in the middle of a rough stretch that I think, you know, we talked last week. He, he had to play the Ravens. He left a lot of plays on the table. There were plays to be made. I know it was windy. You have to say there was wind um, on some of those missed throws. At Pittsburgh this week and then at New England next week. He's in the middle of a very rough stretch. Pittsburgh's probably going to have wind. There might be some wind outdoor uh, Here's elements the thing, here. Right? Duck against Buffalo's defense could be tough. Though. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry. The Pittsburgh defense just did the best job anybody's done against Lamar Jackson, basically, since they started playing well. Uh, now they're playing a guy called Duck. I think they'll do quite well against a guy called Duck. I also think as much as the Pittsburgh Steelers receivers are taking a step forward and they're, they're getting Juju back this week, right? Yeah. The Is going up against Buffalo secondary, Tredavious White, like... That's going to be some problems. They're not going to be as open as they've been in the past. I just don't really see a way that the Steelers score points in this game. Your analysis is that he's named Duck, therefore? I mean, it's a big part of my analysis, yeah. Oh, okay. Is that a problem? No, oh, I'm just, just confirming. Duck's been aggressive, throwing the ball down the field. Right. some things. But that's not good. I know. He's it's going aggressive. to be tough. It's going to be tough against Buffalo's defense. That's done a really nice job. Pittsburgh, though... We keep talking about their front seven, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt getting after it. We need to uh, to add some code to the premium version, too, so that when you type duck in, Hodges actually shows up. Yeah, do you need that? Did I have to go to Devlin in order to find him. Yeah, nobody calls him Devlin. He's coming Come off his best game of the season. So, I mean, he started to progress. But that was against Arizona. Yeah. Um, so, I think it's going to be a pretty good game. Uh, Josh Allen has to play a cleaner brand of football. And then hit some of those deep balls if they... We have to hit a deep shot up. sometime, ever. I think this could be a 9-6 to six game. Yeah. I, I just, I'm I taking Pittsburgh, 9-6. to six. Josh Allen has been so bad at that deep shot that at some point... This is like the Trubisky thing, right? At some point, you can't actually be that bad at this. Surely this has to, like... You know, you're... you're whatever, the, like the range finder needs to get back into proper calibration. And you hit the guy instead of five yards ahead of the guy surely right some people would say he's due i don't think you think he's due i just think but it's impossible to be that bad at this allen's legs 
and you know, kind of keep them. It used to be Allen's legs and his ability to create chunk plays with his arms, with his arm. Yeah. But it's like kind of, you know, his legs and actually what Cole Beasley is able to do after the catch and John Brown and some of those guys, they're able to, you know, they've kept it close. They've had, they almost had the comeback against the Ravens. Um, I think it's going to be another good, tight, close game. And um, when Josh Allen's on primetime, fun stuff's going to happen. That's all I know. Yep. But I'm taking Pittsburgh in this one. I'm taking Buffalo. There you go. And then wrapping it up, Monday Night Football, Indianapolis Colts at the best team in the NFC. Are you declaring it? Well, I mean, sure. The New Orleans Saints. I'm declaring it largely out of spite now because you objected to when I suggested it, it might be possible. Go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the Saints are good. They Drew Brees just carved up the 49ers defense in a way nobody else has. Their defense just got carved up. Well, whatever. Um, they got carved up by the 49ers. Now they're playing the Colts. Yeah. I'm just saying, I think that Drew Brees playing at that level, that was a game that people didn't think he still had in him. He showed he did. Um, their defense has still got some skills, albeit they got roasted a few times. Uh, it's like some of those were weird plays as well, like the fair catch punt thing that ended up as a touchdown. Like, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, but that was bad defense by guys that were like, it was know, bad are defense. on the Saints. But sometimes it's harder to play good defense when the thing coming at you is so bizarre. That, that was bad. This was like the version of you remember your uh, when you claim you torched me when. Zach dropped in a dime. But I did. I, you started running downfield, right? I was like step you. for step with you. Stacked you. you. No. Step for step with you. And then because you're nine foot tall, right? I was like, well, I'm not winning a jump ball. So Which I'm going to wait until the ball arrives, play the receiver, play his arms, knock it out, make, get a pass break up. Everything will go well, right? So I'm waiting for your hands to go up. Your hands go up like 15 yards before the ball arrives. You're just running down the field like this. I fooled you. Yeah. That was ridiculous. That was so absurd that you can't possibly be expected to defend that that's part of my my skill set it's like a guy playing poker right where it's impossible to read what he's doing because he has no earthly idea what he's doing no, you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for like the no. niners deserve credit for george kittle being on their team the saints deserve blame for having the guy on their team that I'm blew the 75 that was... yarder and i deserve credit for setting you up running with my hands out and catching that pass. I'm saying that was so inept that you can't possibly expect a defender to actually anticipate that that's what's going to happen. Just because a former second team IA, what were you? FL. IAFL? Yeah. Second team safety could not keep up with a 6'10, 275 pound former minor league pitcher on a deep ball. Much like I could not Stop be expected to anticipate your idiocy when it comes to catching the ball. The Saints defensive backs should not be expected to anticipate a ball coming down from orbit like a punt when it was a deep shot. Maybe Garoppolo did it just like I did to set things up. Yeah. Give your guy a chance. I mean, if, if Josh Allen just threw some arm punts and gave his guys a chance. That's what he needs chance, to do. No, he just has to give him chances and not throw it out of bounds. He needs to, I tell him, he needs to spend a week getting taught how to throw a deep ball by Chad Pennington. Which was what again? Which is you take I'd, one I'd rather step. the Flacco underthrow it and no, just you try take to get one step it. and just put as much height on it as humanly possible. <laughs> just go and right run under. under it. His height would be too much, though. No, I mean it would go. His arm strength is so good. All eleven guys would be under the ball by the time it came down. No, you just have to work on the arc a bit. Just, just You're put asking it higher in the air. Yours is going to go further because you know it's you. You're asking a lot, but that's what you got to do. At the moment, he's trying to fizz them in like they never leave more than twelve foot from the ground. Mm. Just put some arc under it. Do you think the Colts have a shot in this one? 
Uh, I think they have a shot. I don't think they'll win. Everybody's got a shot. Yeah. Um, I think the Colts have kind of regressed back into what they are with Jacoby Brissett under center. Yeah. Which is not um, great. Our boy Timo was um, being a little snarky at an article probably four or five weeks ago that said, how are the Colts winning all these close games? And he was like, should we tell them, guys? Um, that's called luck. Mm. And then over the last few weeks, they have not won the close games because that stuff just uh, reverts back, man. And nothing sums up the Colts quite like a point differential of one this season, 296 and 295. They're 6-7. and seven. They're our number 15th ranked team. I mean, they are the Thomas Jones of football teams right now. The <laughs> yeah. Thomas Jones. They are the, the Thomas Jones Award of average. Everything across the board has been crept perfectly back toward average. Give them the shirt. Forget so, throw the damn ball shirt. Throw the could, creep back to average. You could drive one over. It's close. I could. Drive them. Drive Except them I got to get on a plane. I'm going to Atlanta. College football awards. Check me out in and around the red carpet. Somewhere in the vicinity of the, <laughs> the red next, carpet. The next couple of days, the PFF Instagram account you will now, send some videos. It is now your job for the next few days to basically stick your, to photobomb every possible <laughs> camera that has any way, shape, or form focused on that red carpet. You think I'm good at my degrees of separation stuff now, I don't want to be able to see a picture of the red carpet <laughs> at the college football awards without seeing your face somewhere in the background. All right, I'm going to do what I can. To good. In and around the red carpet. I'm going to go combing footage of this college football awards don't, to find your face in the background of these pictures. Don't watch the Jets and Ravens on Thursday night. Watch me trying to find the red light anywhere yes, I can. Yes. Um, you think my degrees of separation stuff is good. Now, wait until this weekend, or this this next few days. You have, by the way. Where, like, I was standing next to Kirk Herbstreet, <laughs> who was doing blah, blah, blah. You have perhaps, I mean, very, very rare. I don't want to say unique, but very, very rare advantages when it comes to photobombing. Because you could oh, just... True put your head above people that themselves are kind of photobombing the background of these things. Like, you can just linger over people's shoulders and find your way into the back of the shot in a way nobody else can have a possible hope of achieving. Who's going to stop me? If that's what I'm saying. Nobody's going to stop me. So I can't wait. I'll be wearing my proper cloth out there. Don't forget to get to propercloth.com slash PFF. PFF20 for your $20 off. Special thanks to all of our sponsors. We're all taking the Saints in this one, by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. Best team in the NFC. Yeah. Against the Thomas Jones team. Against Thomas Jones. All right. 53 Thomas Joneses. That's what we're going to see on Monday Night Football. Thanks for tuning in. It was an early preview pod for Week 15. We'll be back on Monday reviewing all of the action. Be sure to get to PFF.com as we keep up. We're doing a lot of uh, really good in-depth content this week, so Mm -hmm. go check it out over at PFF.com. Thanks, guys. We'll uh, be back on Monday morning. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long 
to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.